Thank you, Mrs. Mooney, that special. Uh, teach them to turn and trust Jesus. That is our, that's the main business um, of, our, of our day, of any day, uh, and of our church. Uh, good to see Nathan play. I was excited to be there. I told him, I said, this is the first time that we may have done something in the service at the same time. I told him I'd sign his Bible afterwards to commemorate the date. <laughs> Just teasing. No, it's good. Uh, it's not just his mother and I that are working or getting him where he's at. Other people are investing in him and giving of their resources so that he can play the cello and, and continue to grow. And, you know, um, don't unbuckle your seatbelt just yet for our orchestra because we have a lot of young ones coming up that are doing very, very well. And it won't be too long to where our Orchestra, it's doing great now, but it's going to be even greater. Uh, so you keep praying uh, for those that are in our orchestra and taking lessons. Uh, there's just days where they probably feel like they're going to meet themselves coming and going. They got school, they've got lessons. Lessons happen not just in the afternoon after school. There's things that that they do all the time, all through the week. And um, you've got a you got holiday coming up. There's no break from from uh, playing. There's no break from studying and it's a it's a it's an investment and I'm thankful that our church our school is uh, making that available to anyone that wants to uh, embark on that endeavor I met a lady recently she's uh, is 59 she plays in an orchestra and she started playing when she was like 48 or something she picked up the violin and uh, did not have the greatest finesse that the others in the orchestra had. You don't when you start playing that late in life, but um, she'd been playing for seven or eight years already, and um, just anyone can pick it up. It's not compulsory, but uh, I'll tell you what picking up an instrument will do. It will reveal your true character. It will. Um, It will reveal your true character because there's just something in you that says, I don't want to practice. Or there's this nagging voice that says, you need to be practicing. And so, um, so goes the life of these music- musicians. But I say all that in a lighthearted way, but also to, to just, um, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm glad that uh, not only my son and my children have been able to be a part of it, but we've got some little ones. Man, they're already, they're just, they're just very, very well, uh, very well trained. And, the, and their sound is really good. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, We're looking at um, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, Title of the message is Jesus truly is God's son. And I think uh, most of what we're preaching on tonight is to this Wednesday night crowd who is faithful throughout the week and uh, faithful in their time with the Lord will know these truths. But I hope that it's a reminder of, of what Brother Cherry even talked about as we sang the congregational about um, a commitment. He read from 2 Corinthians, and I think I, I think it was 2 Corinthians, um, talking about li- not living unto yourself, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Uh, Paul challenges and this is just by way of introduction, and we'll read the message, the scripture in a minute. But I was really, as I was 
just thinking about this, this matter of commitment and how um, Paul encourages the churches of not living unto themselves and committing themselves to Christ, who's, who's worthy of the commitment. Um, there are many commitments that we probably get into or involved in or shake hands on or commit to or dedicate ourselves to. And then you, you spend some time and you're thinking, oh, this may not have been the wisest idea. I didn't realize, I didn't realize the cost of this commitment. Um, uh, sometimes, even in the military, we'd have some young men and women that'd be thinking, wait, I got to get up and go to work every day? And I thought it was just going to be jumping out of airplanes and shooting bad guys and riding tanks. And I'm like, no, there's a real job somewhere in there. You know, um, about 1% of you gets to enjoy all the stuff that you bought into on the commercial. The rest of us have to go and, and work and, and do things that are productive. And, um, but commitments require that of us. And our Lord is one who deserves our greatest commitment. And I know this group of people understands that. But let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, if you'll stand with me, please. Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, very challenging uh, question that Jesus poses to his disciples. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, thank you for... Uh, your, um, your word. Thank you for how you instruct your disciples and how we get to uh, look at the conversations you'd ha you had with them and uh, the challenging words you spoke to them. And thank you that in the life of Peter, we see the Holy Spirit revealing unto him a powerful truth. Lord, it is still powerful for us today. Lord, really, this is where we uh, rest as Christians, as Bible-believing uh, people of a New Testament church, Lord, without you, the Son of the living God, we would, we would not have the salvation that we have. Uh, salvation would not be available to those who need it. Uh, a church would not have been established. Lord, just so much is in that name you have. And so, Lord, as we look at you tonight and your attributes and uh, your qualities, Lord, would you help us have a uh, new and refreshed uh, vision of who you are, our Savior, our God, um, our kinsmen, our, our, our heir. Lord, our, we're co-heirs with you. Lord, would you do a work in our lives tonight as only you can. Amen. Thank you and please be seated. So we ask a, a pointed question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And I believe Jesus knew what people were saying in that day. Uh, he knew the, the uh, I guess, confusion or thinking he had been reincarnated to some degree uh, to be Elijah, or Jeremiah, or John the Baptist. No doubt great men in their day and wonderful prophets used of God. But, um, and many people would probably um, misjudge, mischaracterize Jesus even now of being a great teacher, maybe a, a prophet to some, uh, an inspirational leader, someone who went about doing good. 
But the question that he asked his disciples is still an important question that needs answering today. In fact, in the lives of many, this is a question that needs to be answered upon which uh, where they will spend eternity will rest upon how they answer this question. But whom say ye that I am? If you could restate the question, Jesus is saying, who have you determined me to be? Who have you determined me to be? Who do you say that I am? Others are saying this. They have this belief. They live their life this way based upon what they know about me. But whom do whom say ye that I am? So it's vital for us that we believe and believe correctly about Jesus, because if he says if he is who he says he is. And as I mentioned already, he deserves an unwavering commitment by those who follow him. He deserves our unwavering commitment. And my message isn't specifically about that, but I'd like to, as we move in just by with introduction, I'd like to remind us what Paul has written. They which live should not henceforth, let me back up, and that he died for all. And they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but listen, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Jesus Christ died for them because they were already dead spiritually. I like what he talks about later on. He says, um, don't yield yourself as instruments of sin. Yield yourself as someone who's been risen from the dead. Uh, the, the excitement that would come from someone who has been risen from the dead. Wow. The day you got saved, you were, Jesus resurrected you from the spiritual dead. How did he do that? How was he able to resurrect a dead man? He himself died. And an innocent man, God himself died. For none of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. I, and I love this verse. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye, you are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. Hey, if we were bought with a price, if we were resurrected from the dead, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, wouldn't the, your life, my life be something drastically different than what it was before the event happened? Wouldn't, wouldn't there be something about us that would say, man, something's different about you. The way you live your life, I'm not talking about lifestyle evangelism, but there'd be something different. And if there's something different, then why do many Christians cling to and, and hang on to and walk with and, and, uh, and become partners with people, jobs, hobbies that only limit them and they end up living their Christian life to whom this person that we're to be fully committed to were just getting by. We're just 
getting by. I've gotten by. I'm sick of getting by. Personally, I'm, I was reading another commentator and he said, there ought to be a sanctified dissatisfaction in a, in a person who's been saved by the Holy Son of God in his life. It's not that we walk around beating ourselves, demeaning ourselves and just loathing, but just the fact that, man, I, I'm just dissatisfied with just getting by the bare minimum. Look, there, there isn't a job that you and you people in here work where your boss is going to smile and wink at you and say, hey, thanks for doing the bare minimum today. I appreciate it. I'm glad that you were actually here today and not in bed. You've really done an awesome work. No. You got people in here that own a business. You don't expect that of your employees. In fact, sometimes you probably scratch your head thinking, how can I motivate these people? Um, maybe, maybe a a size 12 steel toe boot or a, a Colt 45, one of the two, something's going to get them moving in the right direction. Dear friend, that ought not be the thought. Now, I know Jesus wouldn't think that. Um, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or, or, or uh, in any way, but uh, that ought not be us. Unwavering commitment. Unwavering commitment. You are not your own. You're bought the price. And here's the verse right here in front of me. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteous, unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. An instrument of righteousness. Oh, that's what Jesus wants to do. Make you and me an instrument of righteousness. I think I, 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 uh, I don't know, I don't want to say I laugh at it or smile at it, but I begin to think if we had friends and family that cared enough to tell us the truth about what they see in our life, and if we could take it in the right manner, how much further in our Christian walk could we be? If we knew we wouldn't get offended and our feelings wouldn't get hurt and we wouldn't get the poochy lip and get get sour about it. But we had true friends who could look at your life and look at my life and say, listen, I love you. I want to point something out to you. Because God wants to use you as an instrument of righteousness and I see something in your life that might be a weight to you. Would you let me talk to you? Would you let me point this out to you? And then we might be thinking, well, you know, you got a log in your eye. Don't be trying to get the speck in my eye. Man, it's funny how awesome our scripture memory becomes when someone wants to look into our life and say, hey, I want to help you with something. Oh, boy, all the scriptures we learned in kindergarten seem to come back all of a sudden. We couldn't we couldn't quote them in the grocery store. when We're ready to witness to somebody. But when somebody wants to touch on something that's not quite right or a little off, we're like, oh, no, judge ye not, lest ye be judged. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a good quote. I guess I'm trying to get to the point is that as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he is someone that is worthy of our utmost devotion. Amen. Right. And, I, and I, I need this more than anybody else because life is waning. Times are important. They always have been. Uh, people aren't any more busier than they were yesterday. Uh, uh, things aren't any more 
are, aren't any harder than they were. I mean, if you were to read of people decades ago, they were busy, times were tough, things were hard. Um, but I do note that what's happening today seems to signal more and more the return of Christ. And I do know that if we are saved by his blood, we're going to stand before him one day and give an account for everything we've done in this body, not our sin, but our, 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 our motives as pastors already preached. And so as we look at Jesus this evening, let's keep that in mind about the commitment. I just want to look at four important truths that the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, the Bible defines who Jesus is. What does the Bible tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, or letter A, Jesus is equal with God. The Bible explains explicitly, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who bought and paid for me and for you, is equal with God. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In John chapter 5, verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not had only broken the Sabbath, but also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Do you know he left heaven? Yes. Wasn't a, wasn't, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking with my sanctified imagination, there wasn't a whole lot of disorder up there. I'm thinking things are running pretty tight and pretty clean with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony. I'm, I'm thinking there wasn't a lot of chaos. Wasn't he, he left heaven and came in the likeness of sinful man. God, Jesus is equal with God. Not only is he equal with God and made himself in likeness of men, the Bible says that Jesus is the express image of God. To put it, I know I just said they're equal and that they're the same, but think about this. When it says the express image, it means this. The exact expression, the exact image of a person or thing marked in likeness, precise reproduction in every respect. Jesus is the vivid impression of God the Father. And this express image of God the Father, he had by himself purged our sins. Free from impurities. Listen, he purged our sins. That means we are free from impurities. We are without blemish. We are spotless. Oh, but... I don't, I know what kind of day I had today. Um, I'm not spotless. I, uh, I don't know that I can say I'm free from impurities. I think I earned a blemish today by what I said, by what I thought, by what I did. Hey, listen, that may be accurate. Uh, we sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you're standing, sir, ma'am, you're without blemish. The accuser cannot bring your record up 
in the court. It's already been settled. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. The Bible defines Jesus. He's equal with God. He's the express image of God. And Jesus is eternal. You can't, if you could get in a time machine and travel back, you'd find Jesus there. If you could get in a time machine and travel forward, you'd find Jesus there. Jesus is everywhere. He's always existed. You can't go anywhere in time where Jesus is not. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He has been and will forever be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know these words, before Abraham was, I am. What he's saying is, I exist. I exist. I have been. I was. I am now. I exist. Not only is he eternal, but his, he is the eternal word. The Bible says that this relationship that Jesus and God have, they are one. They're inseparable. Jesus, the word, has, has, has existed. He's existed from the beginning. And because of this relationship, to have intimacy with one is to have intimacy with the other. I go back to the thought on our commitment to this Savior, the one who has reconciled us to God, that a, a low, sinful man could have an intimate relationship with God in heaven, the God of heaven. The conversation that Jesus had with Philip, Jesus, or Philip said, would you show us the Father? It will, it's, it, it's, it'll, it, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long that thou not, you don't know me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? They're so intimate. They're so much together to have intimacy with one is to, have, is to have intimacy with the other. Not only does the Bible define who Jesus is, but the Bible tells us of his deity. And these may seem that they're synonymous or, yes, because he is God, he is deity, but the Bible makes clear distinctions on these truths. The Bible teaches us that, that Jesus is God, and I know I've said that. But think about the words of Thomas. He says, my Lord and my God. One of, one, of the, one of the verses that I, when I came across it and learned who was speaking to who and the truth of it, it just really uh, arrested my attention. Hebrews chapter one, verse eight. But unto the son, he saith, this is Jesus. I mean, this is God saying this, but unto the son, unto Jesus, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Amazing. That God the Father would speak to his own son and call him, O oh God, forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Listen, the one we're committed to, he's not, he is our friend and he is the great shepherd. But let me tell you, he is the holy God of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has a scepter, one who has a throne. Oh, let's not take the commitment to um, him very lightly. God their Father refers to his own Son as God. Not only is he deity, the words, Jesus' words express his very deity. 
He said, I and my father are one. He says, we are one. We exist as one. When you look at a mirror, it reveals the face. When you look at Jesus, he's revealing to you the father, not the physical the nature, but his spiritual nature, the one in whose spirit dwells. You know, that's what Jesus Christ, one of the wonderful examples of him is he shows us what a spirit filled life looks like when walking the earth. That's our goal. That's that's our mark. That's that's what Paul says. I want to attain that man. I want to obtain that reward is to be a spirit filled man like my savior. Jesus' works express his deity. So I'm going to get some audience involvement here. All right. Audience involvement. This is a center aisle. Everybody over here, I want you to take your Bible and find John chapter 1, verse 3. Over here on this side, I want you to find Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It'll help us move through the sermon faster because I got a lot of scripture. Over here is John chapter 1, verse 3. Over here is Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. We're going to look at the works of Jesus that express or claim his deity. They both speak about Jesus creating the world. So John chapter one, verse three, most everybody got it over here. All right, let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we can read this together. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. That's Jesus. All things were made by Jesus. All right, over here, Colossians chapter one, verse 16. It's a little bit longer, so you guys got to be on, on time here, okay? Um, Colossians chapter one, verse 16. Ready, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Wow. All things. I remember, uh, and you, you've heard this too, because it's a, it's a nice cliche among the Baptist preachers. All means all, and that's all, all means. So all things were created by him. Everything. Everything. Man, I have the privilege to uh, teach biology. I think sometimes the, two, the students teach me more on days than I teach them because they had a great teacher in their physical science class. I think my biology class took physical science with Brother Baker. Pretty sure of that. So they teach me. But you know what? Man, we were breaking down a leaf to the molecular level. Chloroplast. Little cells you see under a microscope. And chlorophyll, the green stuff that makes it green takes photon energy from the sun and converts it into energy, which provides, which actually breaks apart gases and creates carbohydrates and feeds the plant. And then you learn about xylem and phloem and how they move sap and water and nutrients up and down the tree, all the way to the tippity tip top top and all the way down to the very bottom of the root. Cells. Little cells that you can't see with the naked eye. Somehow, in God's wondrous, and Jesus created trees and plants, the plant kingdom. And he just spoke it into motion. It's amazing. The tree doesn't have to think about whether or not it's going to circulate the sap through its trunk. It doesn't have a decision-making process. It just does it. It doesn't go against what's been set in motion for it. And I'm getting excited because we're going to talk about 
other, uh, uh, you know, the animal kingdom, mammals and things like that. I'm hoping, I'm hoping with, um, with uh, approval from on high that we can uh, dissect a pig. I'm hoping that we can do that. Um, and, but God created, Jesus Christ created all that. It's amazing what our kids are learning. They don't learn about physics, centrifugal force, um, friction. I mean, just about this wonderful world that Jesus Christ created. His works express and tell of his deity. He has authority over nature. I won't have you turn. I thought I'd have you turn the rest of these, but we'll wait. But remember when Jesus was on the sea with the disciples and there's a storm coming and they're afraid. I mean, these salty seasoned fishermen are scared. And a lot of times the storms would come up on the lake and because of the terrain, sometimes the wind would probably act like a funnel and just enhance the, the, uh, the horror of the, of the storm. And Jesus said, why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? But when they asked for his help, he stood up and he rebuked the storm. It didn't just slosh around and decide to settle. It was instantaneous. It stopped. The water didn't think about whether it should lap up a little bit or not. No, it, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, there was a great calm. He rebuked the wind. Nature obeyed his voice. His works expressed his deity, that he is God. He has authority over sickness. Remember the lady with the, uh, the issue of blood? And Jesus asked the question. And I know the disciples were thinking, who's not touching you? Now he's asked, who touched me? Who isn't touching you, Jesus? Everybody's got their hands on you. But he knew of one woman who was exercising faith. And he kind of called her out, not, not to embarrass her, but to make it, make it known that her sickness was cured. He said, daughter, be of good cheer. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. His works express his deity. He has authority over nature. He has authority over sickness. He created the world. His authority was so great, he even had the ability to forgive sins. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? There was no other way that these men could get their friend into the house but to do something a little out of the ordinary and get him through the roof. And he has palsy. It means his arms don't work. His legs don't work. They had to carry him. And their faith and the faith of the one on the stretcher, Jesus said, your faith is what has saved you. And he forgave them their sins. Jesus is looking for this faith to reward by granting the solution to the need. Not only does he have power over sickness and nature, forgives sins, created the world. God, Jesus Christ, has conquered death and the grave. I love the account of Lazarus. Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. And when, thus, and when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that was dead, came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. 
I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure Lazarus was pretty, pretty tight with Jesus after that. In all sincerity, I believe Lazarus was committed to the one who raised him from the dead. Would we be like Lazarus? No, he didn't raise us from a physical crypt or grave and, or out of a casket or out, out of a place where we're covered with six feet of dirt. No, I'm going to tell you, he rescued us from a far worse place. The sin of, of our own doing, the guilt, the shame, the bondage that the devil had us in, the chains we had forged together and Satan gladly encouraged the making. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And the keys of hell, and he has the keys of hell and of death. Thirdly, the Bible describes Jesus. It gives him titles. It gives him um, Trying to think of another word for titles. Gives him um, announcements. Billy Sunday said there are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that any one man could express or any one name could express. I'll just move through these quickly because I believe we know them and believe them. But just to comment on them, the Bible describes Jesus. He's Lord. You know, he carries the same title as his father. He's Lord. He is supreme in authority. He was given the same respect and title as God the Father. In our earthly realm, we know that that probably wouldn't happen. As much as we would respect our elders and our Father, I don't think anyone would mistakenly treat the seven-year-old with the same respect as maybe his 40-year-old father. Or I don't know if I got the ages right, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's not... Imagine this, if, um, if, I'm, if I'm at home and I'm asking for a cup of coffee and uh, I look to maybe Lauren, I say, Lauren, would you please, would you pour me a cup of hot coffee? Dad would love some. She'd, she'd willingly um, probably pour the cup of coffee. But Nathan, well, he didn't drink coffee. But um, if Madeline, maybe, uh, maybe Madeline or Luke would say, hey, uh, Lauren, would you please uh, pour me a cup of coffee? I sure would like some. It'd probably be a gracious response of, you may get it yourself. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking, right? Um, of course, if my wife asks for it, we'll all probably do our very best to get her the cup of coffee as soon as we can. But you see my point. Jesus Christ was given the same respect, same authority as his father. And what I love about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, understanding their uh, equal, but when I, when when you study the scripture, you realize the Holy Spirit, like one of His primary jobs is to point people to Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ, He's always saying over and over, "I love the Father. I do everything to please the Father." It's almost like you see, um, and I think you do see just the the respect and the hierarchy. Not not that I'm trying to go against scripture, but you see by what they say, what they do, who is important. To the Holy Spirit, pointing people to Christ, 
is important. Exalting Christ is what he wants to do. And, Je and the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants, he died so that man can have a relationship with his father like he has with the father. He's Lord. Jesus is the Savior. We could find many uh, New Testament verses, but I, I like some out of the Old Testament. I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Hosea, yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Peter, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. When you read about Jesus Christ in the New Testament, it reinforces what we learn of Jehovah God in the Old Testament. Jehovah was the name that described the special relationship that he had with his people. It points to the unique and special relationship that we have with Christ today. He's the Savior. He's the Lamb of God. He was sent to the earth to become the sacrifice for sin. He is the Son of God. We read where Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Bible says He is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I'll just highlight some verses out of Revelation. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Fear not, I am the first and the last. Well, why is that important? Alpha is, many of you know this, Alpha is the first alphabet in the Greek alphabet is the first letter, sorry. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. He says, everything begins with me, everything ends with me. I am first, I am last, and of most importantly, he is everything in between. He says, I am the one. There is no other God before me. There is no other God after me. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The Psalms tell us he's the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Lastly, the Bible tells us, reveals the desire. So we've seen We've seen the description of Jesus, um, the deity of Jesus. Uh, forget number three. It's a D, I believe. Um, and then the desire of Jesus. Jesus desires that everyone would be saved. Amen. Pastor Kraft used to quote this verse all the time when he's preaching. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, and I know Calvinists believe, and I'm, I'm probably not going to get it right. I don't, I don't know probably what I should know about Calvinism, but I do know this. They would tell you that, you know, God knows who's going to be saved, and there's some that will never be saved. And, and so... And I'm, I know God knows that. I know God knows who's going to trust him as Christ. I know God knows who doesn't. But I know this, the Holy Spirit is definitely more learned than I am. And so I'm, I believe we just should share the gospel with everybody and, and let, it, let him, let that person know that if you do reject Christ, you're rejecting 
the God of heaven who loves you and died for you. And so, yes, you have the free will to reject Christ. Uh, but as Jude urges us, man, there ought to, there, there ought to, be, there ought to be falling over our bodies uh, on their way to hell because of the great love that we are expressing to them, representing the great love that Jesus Christ had for all lost people. He would, in First Timothy, who will have all men to be saved. I'll say it again, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. When it says have all, in 1 Timothy it means all, any, every, the whole, whole all men, all human beings. God desires that everyone would be saved. Not only does he desire that everyone be saved, after they're saved, Jesus desires to spend time with you. That, that's, that's on his heart. Why else would he say, abide in me? Is he obligated to spend time? I guess you could argue the point, but he loves you. <laughs> he just wants to spend time with his child, his son. I always liked it when Brother Humbert was preaching and he's always talking about God's kids. Making sure his kids act right or loving his kids. Uh, just like you love your children and there wouldn't be anything you wouldn't do for your child. The Lord wants to spend time with you and he wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate to you. He wants you to hear him. He, he, he wants. God's not uh, insecure in any way that he has to have your attention. He desires your attention. He wants your attention. He, he bought you at a great price. Uh, he's wanting you to live for him and experience great peace and great freedom from now until the rest of the days until you go home to be with him. He desires to bless you and to use you. He said this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more Abundantly. That word abundantly means beyond, a sense of beyond, super abundant in quantity, superior in quality. He not only wants to bless us with a home in heaven, he wants to bless you with an abundant life here on earth. Not in a material way. God, God can definitely take care of our needs. But you know, where you are right now in life, married, single, widowed, Healthy, sick, wealthy, not wealthy, whatever, wherever you are, getting ready to retire, just starting a career, not sure, wherever you are, God wants to use you right now and bless you right now. He's asking, he's wanting, he's desiring that you would just be content with your lot. We don't know what he has in store for us, but you know what often happens is we just we, we buy and we get duped into thinking we've been cheated somehow. This is, you know, this isn't, this isn't um, everything I hoped it would be. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't what I thought it would be. Um, I've, I feel like I've, I've just got stuck. I've got no traction. Hey, listen, God wants to take all of that. He just, he just wants to take and say, would you, would you just be content with where I have you right now? He might have us stuck on a purpose just to get us to be still. We're always moving everywhere. See, the, I know branches, um, J. Vernon McGee said this. He goes, you know, 
He goes, I know that a branch doesn't break itself off the vine and just start dancing around trying to figure out where else to go. He said, I know that's impossible. He said, but that's the way some Christians live their life. Jesus says, abide. The branch needs to abide in the vine, needs to dwell, needs to stay still so that fruit can come. Listen, listen I, I know just by the fact that we're here tonight, um, no, nothing's perfect in our, in our lives. We have a perfect Savior, but there's challenges. There's stress. There's friction. There's, there's people that, that um, whether it be the one in our own home or someone in our own home or someone at work, there's just, there's just things moving and going about that maybe we're just not settled on. But may I remind you the fruit that, we're, that we read about in Galatians 5.22? This is the kind of fruit that Jesus wants to bring about in your life. This is the kind of fruit that he wants to bless you with. He wants to bless you with love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness. Oh, meekness, power under control and temperance. We bear fruit when Jesus Christ is able to feed us and to spend time with us. So let me go back as we close to this question that we were asked at the beginning. Actually asking it to the disciples, but whom say ye that I am? I've done my best in the sense of presenting Bible truth so that you know who he is. There's no middle ground. We either follow him wholeheartedly or we're rejecting him. He is the true son of God who demands our all. Will you bow as Thomas did? Are you setting aside time to pray to him and listen to him as you read his word? Can fruit be seen in your life? There may be someone here who needs to be saved. Maybe there's someone here who needs to cast their dependence upon Jesus and trust him for salvation, to be forgiven for all your sins. Where tonight do you need to submit to him right now? Let's stand, please, for a moment of invitation so that uh, we can respond to what God has spoken to us tonight in our heart. I pray that uh, you would listen. And if there is an area of surrender, let us do it right now.